1: Uh, My guest today, I met at Dr. Rob Garcia's networking event. So we were out there hanging out, meeting a bunch of cool people. Joe comes up to me and he shares a story with me about a guy in a hole. And as he's telling me the story to explain what it is he does, literally, I got chills. So I'm not even going to do any kind of massive intro for Joe. I want Joe to come in and tell me a story. Just like did today, so you did that day, so you guys can understand what it is Joe does. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Joe, welcome to the program.
2: Hey, thanks for having me, Hernan. So, uh, once upon a time, a man walked onto a construction site, and there were three men working. He asked the first man, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm laying bricks. Second man, he asked, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm building a wall. They were both kind of moaning. He asked the third guy, what are you doing? And he stood up and he smiled and he looked to the skies and he said, I'm building a cathedral. And if you're tired of laying bricks in your business and building walls and you're ready to build a business cathedral, I'm a badass business coach and I can help you get there. However, everybody wants the big cathedral. Everybody wants the million dollar business. Everybody wants to thrive and prosper. But if you build your business on hustle alone, it will crumble. If you want to build a tall building, you've got to build a strong foundation on solid principles. And that's why I created my program called Employee Escape Plan is to help people start a business from scratch so that they can build a, a business and a cathedral that endures so they never have to go back to a soul-sucking job.
1: Now we got a lot of stigma though. I mean, there's a lot of people out there saying, look, all you got to do is grind. It's not about the passion or it is about the passion. It's, it's all about, you know, personal development. How fast can you get to your 10,000 hours? There's all these cliche type things. You know, everybody, you're right. Everybody's looking for that easy button. So what what's the path that we should be going on? I mean, as a human, like what type of stuff do you come across where you're like, look, This is how we think. This is how we act. Let's get to where we need to go by taking our basic steps.
2: Well, let's tell another story because, you know, you can build a business on hustle. Let me tell the story of two entrepreneurs. Once upon a time, there was a village that needed water and there were two entrepreneurs. And uh, the first entrepreneur said they need water. So he was going to hustle. So he got two barrels and a pole. And he went down and walked, you know, a half mile to the lake, and he scooped up the barrel and the water, and he walked, and he was hustling. He was hustling. He got back to the village, and the people bought the water because they wanted water, they needed water, and they were willing to pay for it because otherwise they would have to do that manual labor themselves. They would have to do that hustle themselves. But on the other side of the village was a different entrepreneur, and he saw all this and said, you know, the people need water. Uh, But the way they're doing it, it's just going to burn us out. It's going to tear us up. It's going to spit us out. We're going to end up dying with very large chiropractic bills. (laughs) So what he did is he got together an architect and an engineer and a contractor, and they worked really hard. They hustled building a pipeline, and they did not make money right away. It took them three months, six months, nine months, a year to build that pipeline. But once they did, they, they finished their work, and all they had to do was open the valve. And if the village needed a lot of water or a little water, they were completely scalable and they were never tired. As a matter of fact, there's a word, fancy word called indefatigable. They were never fatigued.
1: That's, dude, and I bet that water was cleaner. And I bet that water <laughs> uh, cost on them man. less. They were probably able to charge a lot less. Um, they could go on vacation and the water still came. Yeah.
2: And so what's happening is a lot of people are building a business on the hustle, and they're not building the system. So the question is, are are you hustling, 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 you carrying the water? Are you putting systems in place so that you never have to be burned out and fatigued? And and unfortunately, you know, there's actually nine parts of being in business. One's mindset, and you could even group hustle in that. But, you know, you need to have good marketing. If you have the best mindset in the world and the best hustle in the world, but you don't have good marketing, you're going to choke. You know, if you don't have the right business model, if you don't have the right distribution channels, if you don't have the right relationships, if you don't um, have cash, you know, if you don't have the ability to accumulate cash, you know, there's a lot, of, there's like nine major drivers in a business mindset is just one of them. And and if you build your business on mindset alone and you neglect the other eight pieces, you're going to forever struggle. And that's that's sad because it doesn't have to be that way.
1: Absolutely. So, um, before we get into some more technicalities of building a business, tell me a little bit about Joe. How does Joe have the merit to come in and be a business coach? Where do you, where, What's your background? Where'd you, where'd you come from?
0: Well, my
2: background is electrical engineering, come from a middle-class family, you know, took a bunch of college classes, just uh, maybe three or four classes short of, short of my bachelor's degree. I never got that um, in electrical engineering, but I always played with electronics and I ended up going down a computer and a software path and I made a million dollars in my first, well, I had several little businesses, but I made a million dollars and it was very happy. But then I lost everything. I made some mistakes and you know, technology changes really quick. So what's hot today is like obsolete tomorrow. And I really got caught viciously in one of those cycles and I lost everything and then some. So, um, but what I did get at that point was uh, well, I got depression. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I literally had to go and see mental health help. But what I did get was a mentor, and um, you know, I got the blessing to work with Jay Abraham for seven years, and I got to learn like everything about marketing. I actually, uh, one of my assignments for him was helping compile a uh, a marketing encyclopedia. I transcribed thirty years of think tanks. And so, uh, you know, in 1999, I started looking at first, I was learning all this marketing stuff for my own healing, uh, cause I never wanted to make that mistake again. I really went on an obsessive compulsive quest for the truth. I had that, that burning desire to know the truth because one of the things I came to learn was that almost everything we've learned about business is a big fat lie. Like this idea of you just got to hustle, you know, it's just bullshit. There's more to the puzzle than that. So, um, Uh, so at first I was doing it for my own healing and then I went to a trade show with all these big companies and I was using Jay Abraham's checklist of the 10 biggest marketing mistakes almost every business makes and I went by hundreds of booths and every single one of them was making at least one or more of those marketing mistakes and I'm like oh my god these people need my help I have knowledge that they don't have and I wanted to help everybody but I soon realized everybody is not you know ready and willing and able to receive my help especially you know when i started my business in 1999 my net worth was minus minus 250 thousand dollars, and i didn't file bankruptcy i actually worked really hard and paid everybody back to the best i could um and negotiated a bunch of stuff and all that but um um that was my starting point was so what if i you know Uh, There's a great quote in one of Napoleon Hill's books. He says, you failed. Congratulations. You are now an expert at what not to do. And (laughs) I leveraged my expertise at what not to do. And I started helping people. And at first I was very low paid. It was very difficult to get clients, but, and especially like, what's your credibility. Uh, But what I did is I started helping people and getting testimonials. Joe came in he changed our business. You know, we now have great things happening. And I started getting video testimonials from people as proof that I could improve somebody else's business. And, uh, here I am, you know, uh, I started in 1999 and here we are in 2020. So it's like 21 years later, I am still, uh, I've been helping entrepreneurs reinvent themselves since 1999. That was a lot. I'll pass it back to you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I mean, but that that's exactly, you know, we talk a lot about, uh, especially today, having that 19-year-old life coach that, you know, is going to help you, the, the guru that's going to know everything to help you get out of stuff. And it's difficult to go in and say, okay, here, let me give out a fresh new credit card to this 21-year-old guru. That's going to give me the magic pill that's going to bring all the leads I need uh, to make myself, a, you know, the next millionaire. And, and to you, you know, you, you said something about, you know, it's not all about hustle and grind. And yet there is that aspect of business that does require you to lay the brick, right? I mean, there's still part of that in the business.
2: Um, well, there, there is. But, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with the frame. I don't go to work. I have fun serving my clients making money. You know, I, 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 you know, I'm a massive contribution to changing my, the, the, improving the circumstances of my clients. And I have a blast with it. So, um, you know, if you enjoy what you're doing, it doesn't feel like work. So, you know, there, there by the way, here's a great distinction. Would you rather have somebody that was hustling for your success or devoted? Devoted hundred percent yeah and and so when it when it when you're coming from i need to make the money and you're just working hard for the sake of working hard we call it hustle but when you're doing it from the heart when it's a spiritual calling when it comes from the core of who you are and you recognize i am devoted to helping improve people's lives energetically it just feels completely different feels a lot Uh, better
1: it does and yet there's so many people stuck in that nine to five, right? And there's so many people who maybe have this concept or this idea for a side hustle. But let's be honest, when you look at it, it's more like a hobby. How do you help people get from, you know, having this hobby that could potentially be a business to become an actual business where they might have that opportunity to escape from their nine to five?
2: Well, first of all, you gotta want it. You know, if you don't want it bad enough, you're not going to get it, you know? So, um, just cause it's a side hustle doesn't mean you can't take it seriously. It doesn't mean you can't have fun with it. it. doesn't mean you can't grow it. Uh, you know, there's different scales. So you could be a full-time job and just, that's it. I'm never going to go start my own business. Or you could have a hobby business or you could have a side hustle. Um, you know, you could have a part-time business, uh, or, you know, you could go the other side. I have a, a business that it's kind of up and down. I'm making it, but I have a part-time gig. Uh, to support it until it gets really off the ground. So the first thing is you got to have the hunger. Uh, the second thing is um, you, you need to really figure out what this thing is. You know, the intention of the work I do with my clients is not to create a side hustle that that is just still more hard work. You know, you're, you're doing it for the money, not because you enjoy it. The intention is three parts. Do what you love share the love so you can receive the love do what you love for yourself and your clients if you love what you're doing and and you love doing it for your clients that's a good sign you know and then you want to share the love through your service and 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 through your marketing okay and and getting the word out you want to share like what your passion is and then you want to receive the love uh from clients that are grateful and appreciate you and uh you also receive the love uh, the self-love of the fulfillment that I made a promise, and I kept the promise, I delivered, I improved somebody's life, and I feel really good and yummy about that. So do what you love, share the love, receive the love. You need to intentionally, you know, you don't want to go from a, uh, a job that you don't love to a business that you don't want, love. They, like, you get an opportunity to have a blank slate and design your dream business. See, here's the problem is most people, are not in careers by design. They're in careers by default. They never sat down and said, what is my dream business? We didn't get that from our college counselors or our high school counselors. Uh, if, if there would have been, you know, how to be an entrepreneur and start a business successfully in high school, I would have taken all the classes. They didn't offer, they didn't teach it effectively. And since nobody's really teaching it effectively, I had to invent it.
1: hmm That, I mean, I love that do what you love share the love receive the love sounds very positive joe sometimes it's hard to stay positive when i'm dealing with objections and people say no it kind of gets on the on the you know it, it gets tough after a while you put out a video the other day in uh, in success engineer group which i watched and then i saved and then i watched and then i've been using myself i understand <laughs> that you might not <laughs> have the money for this right now, and I'm not saying you could go back and find a way. But if you did,
2: right, what would it be so like? What would
1: it be like? And uh, I wanted you, I wanted to kind of pick your ear a little bit about that because um, I've been using that, and not so much in the sales sense. Um, I've been waiting for that opportunity to come up again here soon. But um, I'm going through a section. I teach high school, right? So I'm going through this section on. Uh, credit cards and loans. And so when I'm describing some of these things to my students, I'm describing not so much the, you know, what the you know interest rate is or what a balloon payment is. I'm describing it in the sense of how is the sales rep going to sell you on something that you may not necessarily want. So I've used that exact line that you, that you've taught me to kind of show them like you may not need this particular product, but this is an approach that's going to come your way to try to put you in a mindset to help you understand this, so that you can see, you know, what trouble you might be walking into, and and kind of see past the uh, the uh, I guess the persuasion here. But it's, an, it's, well, it's a it's a positive and a negative tool depending on how you use it.
2: Yeah, you know, the thing is, is um, I look at it as uh, sales is not a numbers game. If you treat people like a number, you deserve all the sales you don't get. Um, I, I believe, you know, if you can help somebody then you have a moral obligation to help them. And the truth is, is if you can't help somebody and you try to manipulate them into buying, you're, you're, you're going at it wrong. There's no need to sell to people that don't need what you got. Now, one of the challenges we have is, you know, biologically, you know, we have needs. So I need food. I need oxygen. I need fluids. I need water. I need touch. I need sex. I need love. I need affection. I need a massage. These are body biological needs. Now, I'm a business coach. Now, somebody, nobody wakes up and says, I have a biological urge to hire a, a business coach. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. And so we got to realize that, you know, I know that I do massively improve uh, the conditions of my clients, but they don't know that. And so, you know, I'm very innovative with what I do, but you know, here's a, you know, if you're listening to this, you might want to write this down. Innovation creates new ignorance.
1: Mm.
2: Okay. I'm doing something very innovative that can change your life, but you don't understand what it is. So the cure for ignorance is education. So a very large part of the, uh, the selling or the persuasion process is to educate people, not only teaching them what I got, but teaching them, not just teaching, but teaching to want, Teaching to desire, teaching to help them understand and appreciate the value, the improvement, the benefit, the boost that they'll get by working uh, with me or purchasing what I'm offering, and so that's uh, that's a that's an important piece to the puzzle. Is number one, you, you know, you shouldn't be selling to somebody that doesn't need what you've got, uh, but if they do need what you got, so sales is not a numbers game; it's a mastery game. So, what's that look like? I want you to imagine that you've uh, you've got a pharmaceutical company and you've got the cure for a deadly disease. Now, we talked to thousands of people and we found 10 people with that disease. And now we're trying to sell them on buying and taking the medication, because if they don't take our medication, they're going to die. And if they do take our medication, they're going to live. So um knowing that if sales was a number game and I was happy selling 9 out of 10 one person would die on my watch. And so if I have 10 people that are qualified 10 out of 10 should buy that's mastery because if I don't sell all 10 of them somebody's going to die so I have a moral obligation. If I can help somebody and I don't help somebody I'm actually doing them a moral disservice so I have an obligation To make sure they own my product, so they can live instead of die. Is that a better frame?
1: That is a better frame, because and that's really what it comes down to is understanding uh, that 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 person has a need that you are there to fill the need. Because I think um, part of the problem is um, on the sales rep side, you feel maybe inadequate. Maybe you have some like uh, self-limiting beliefs that maybe you're not good enough, or maybe you you know I've seen. Often, and I've done it myself, where I'm in a presentation and I'm talking, and I see the opportunity, and I'm, I'm presenting what I got, and then somehow, some way, I talk myself out of a sale. <laughs> you know, you, where, where you start, you know, something in your subconscious, like you know, this is a good option, but maybe you can go this route, and you you walk yourself out of the opportunity rather than going full force in. Uh, what what is it about that? You know, like what is it about a professional that gets stuck? Not making sales, even though they have a good product, even though they have you know a good a good value proposition, even though there's a lot of things, there's something missing in this mastery that you're talking about that that can take them to the next level.
2: Um, There's a lot of pieces to that. Uh, Let me try and um, you know um, we can have you know it's like numbers in a lock. Say it takes six numbers to open a lock. If you've got five numbers, the lock. You know, you don't have that open. sixth number, the lock won't open. So, you know, you do need to have all the elements. Uh, Tom Hopkins was one of my early sales trainers. I've learned actually like 19 different selling systems, okay? So Tom Hopkins' uh, sales mastery course uh, would be one of those 19 systems that I've learned. But Tom said that, you know, one of the hardest things to uh, teach somebody in a, in a sales training setting is the mood of the sale. The, 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 the presence, the connection you have with the potential buyer, you know, if you have deep empathy and you really connect, it's almost like having that Vulcan mind melt. So one of the things is you need to really be calibrated and connected to that person so that, you know, uh, there's a saying, no trust equals no sale. Nine times out of 10, uh, the reason that somebody doesn't buy from us is we triggered something that said, you know, I don't quite trust this person right and so um um, that's a that's a real big piece of it is no trust equals no sale and so we need to make sure that we do those things that create and build trust and then build upon those and then not do stupid stuff like you said you know like i thought i had the sale but then i did something and it just triggered something in the buyer where they they don't trust you and and you lose the sale And, and it could be very unconscious it could just be the way you winked your eyes or you could have not felt really comfortable in your own skin, and it and it telegraphed. Um,
1: Last time I spoke to you, we went into some mindset stuff. We started talking a little bit about some less Brown, and and you know, and and it got me thinking of things uh, in the NLP nature, the you know, neuro linguistic programming sense, and so. Uh, I went out and I and I opened up my audiobook, uh, Audible, and I'm like, I'm gonna learn a little bit more about this stuff because that's you know that's what I do. And I pulled it up, and it's got things like dark psychology and understanding the dark side of human nature. Why does it have such a negative connotation when everywhere else that I've heard about it has so many positive things to go with it? What is it about this area that we're talking about, this mindset, this this persuasion thing, that has such a negative connotation, but can Helps so many people in a positive way.
2: Well, you know, the truth is, is a lot of us have been sold something that didn't, that didn't keep the promise. All of us have bought something that they made a promise and it didn't deliver. And so, uh, you know, the, fa- the, 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 crimes of the father or the crimes of the son, you know, like mm-hmm. if you, if you get perceived as a salesperson, it's like, you really are coming across as somebody that's trying to get the money from me, you know, versus you know, I don't want you to think of me as a salesperson. I want you to think of me as um, a trusted advisor. You know, I'm going to advise you on how to create a business and create a business that works. And I don't want to manipulate you. I, I could, I have like massive, great skills, but you know, you know uh, I I just think it makes me more um, uh, critical and and precise with my languaging. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, But, at the end of the day, you know, if, if I can't help you, I don't want your money, okay? It's really got to, you know, look, I am here to genuinely help you. I am not, you know, I want to be more the consigliere instead of the salesperson. I want to be the trusted advisor. And, you know, I want to be uh, the person that um, I'm a fit finder. I'm looking for the truth of a good fit. Like, if this is a good fit and it can help you, then of course you're going to do it. And if it's not a good fit, If that's the truth, and I just won because I got the truth. So, you know, if we come in and we've got like this desire to get the sale, um, you know, even if we don't verbalize it, it, you know, we get this thing called commission breath. Mm -hmm. And you start to think, this guy isn't trying to help me. He's just trying to earn a commission. And uh, it's kind of repulsive. And so we need, you know, uh, Jay Abraham teaches a, a pretty extensive philosophy called the strategy of preeminence and part of the strategy eminent uh, preeminence is um really being that trusted advisor i care about you i will never steer you wrong you know when you come to me i'm here to truly help you i would never ever let you make a bad decision um i'm not going to sell you more than you need i'm I'm not going to sell you less than you need i'm going to sell you exactly what you need you know Uh, uh And so if, if we truly come across as the trusted advisor, uh, you know, the other day I was having a conversation with somebody and they go, they told me like, you're trying to sell me. I'm like, look, dude, put your credit cards away. I'm trying to help you right now. Like, this is not about selling right now. And I just gave value. Okay. But it doesn't take much for that, um, defensive mechanism. You ever see the movie avatar? Yes. Remember the guys going through the forest and there's those big red flowers and he touches it and just shrinks up. Yep. That's exactly what happens in sales. As long as people trust you, they'll be blossoming and they'll be open to you. And, but the moment that they, you touch them in the wrong way, they shrink up and they go into their little pod and they disappear. And so uh, that's, that's what, that's actually a, a pretty, that, that cartoon, that dynamic of that scene is actually pretty accurate of what happens is when you have trust, people are open. The moment that anything triggers distrust, they shut down. Their heart closes, their mind closes, their gut closes.
1: One of the things that I really liked about you is your ability to do exactly what you just did there. Give a good analogy or tell a good story and you always take somebody's words and you change them a little bit so they have a positive perspective. It's like you almost listen to them in their literal sense, the words they use and kind of dig a little deeper and you find a way to, to, uh, verbalize or share a story that, that points to more of the feeling that they want that they're trying to express versus the words that they use. Like how important is it to use story? How important is it to have that proper vocabulary to help, you know, to help communicate a message that you want to communicate?
2: A couple things there. Uh, um, you know, there's a direct correlation between low vocabulary and incarceration rates.
1: Hmm.
2: You know, uh, the more uh, extensive your vocabulary, the higher your survivability in the world, the more distinctions you have and you will survive. So, you know, that's definitely a piece of it. You know, storytelling, you know, nobody wants to hear an advertisement like buy my, buy my stuff. You know, one of my buddies wrote a book called um, Jim Ackerman. Um, how to market your crap when the economy is in the toilet. <laughs> um, so, so look, nobody wants to hear an advertisement, but everybody likes a good once upon a time. And the moment I say once upon a time, you know, a man it was watching. Y- y- yeah, it's, it doesn't feel like an advertisement. There's a lesson. And, you know, I collect these stories because um, different stories have a different purpose for a different message, you know. Uh, You know, a lot of people are struggling in business. Let me tell you a story, okay? Once upon a time, a man was walking down the street next to the devil. And they both witnessed a man picking up the truth. And the man said to the devil, that man just picked up the the truth. I saw you saw him. Why don't you stop him? He picked up the truth. Why don't you stop him? And the devil laughed. He goes, no, no, I'm going to let him pick up the truth. I'm just going to help him rearrange it. Ooh. And I think this is one of the reasons people struggle in business is they have the truth, but it's rearranged. You know, if you say the dog bit the man, the exact same words are the man bit the dog, but it's two completely different meanings because the sequence. And what happens a lot of time in business is people are doing their business out of sequence. And, and no wonder they struggle. Just they, they say, I need a website. Well, Have you chosen your business? Have you branded it? You know, what are the emotions? What's the problem and solution that you offer? What's your offer? What's your storytelling? Because if you go to um, um, a website, if you go to a web designer and say, you know, choose my business for me, choose my branding for me, choose my offer for me, choose my storytelling, because I haven't come up with those things yet. He'll, he'll charge you for a website and it's just not going to work very good because all your pieces are not in alignment.
1: Mm-hmm. That's so true. I, I recently uh, read and reread and reread uh, Russell Brunson's book, <laughs> The Expert Secrets. And in that, he talks a lot about story and, and like the hero's two journeys, the uh, external story that we tell ourselves, like, you know, I want to go, I want to lose weight. And, and your internal story, the reason why, you know, you dig a little deeper. Well, why is it to lose weight? You know, it's, is, it be, is it because of love? Is it because, you know, survival? What, what is the, the inner story that's, that's there? Um, he, he talks a lot about uh, the same type of thing. Every single time you see an advertisement on Facebook, whatever, there's always a hook, offer, and, uh, and you know, a story, hook, offer, story, hook, offer, story, every single time, or hook, story, offer, sorry, hook, story, offer, because it's the way our mind will process it. Something's going to grab our attention. We tell you a story so that you feel the same uh, emotions that we felt. So you come across the same epiphany that we came across and it becomes your idea essentially. And then here's the offer that we have. And when he structures those things, he always starts at the end and works backwards. And I thought that was unique. Yeah. And,
2: you know, one of my favorite kind of stories to tell is like a real success story from one of my clients. So once upon a time, a guy named Fred Garnica hired me. Uh, He he was a security guard at the L.A. Convention Center. And he had a he had one client. uh, He was guarding a yard uh, of electrical equipment. And that one client was paying him three thousand dollars a month. He had himself and his one employee guarded that yard. And he came to me, he hired me, he said, Joe, I want more customers. I said, okay, good. In other words, you want to grow your business? He says, yeah. He goes, and I go, and you want more customers? He said, yeah. I said, well, there's three ways to grow a business. There's more customers or you can get bigger transactions or more frequency of transactions from your existing customers. And I go, are you sure that you want more customers? And I'm like, he's like, yeah. I'm like, dude, like, listen to me. Like, you're doing this out of sequence. Uh, customers that have never done business with you, you still haven't, they had, they don't know you like you trust you yet. You haven't developed the trust, but you have one client that likes your work. Can you do me, you know, can you just humor me and go to your one client and ask them one simple question? Do you have more work for me? So he went back and said, do you have more work for me? And they gave him seven more yards at $3,000 a yard each. And his income went from $3,000 a month to $24,000 dollars by by he was asking the wrong question when we shifted the question he got a much more profound result a lot quicker Mm. so that's another kind of story he's telling a real success of a real client that had you know amazing results in a very short amount of time and the kind of results he got was life-changing
1: when we first started the podcast we used to say this line by Albert Einstein all the time it's uh, uh problems cannot be solved by the same level of thinking that created them." And your story kind of really exemplified that. It's like, you know, he's, he's stuck in this perpetual trap of, I got this one gig and I want to get bigger, I want to get bigger, I want to get bigger. But you come in, see the same problem that he sees from an outside perspective, and you're able to just kind of, sh- you know, say, hey, man, like, yeah, l- the, the concept is you want to grow. Let me show you the different ways in which you can grow
2: well let's look for the low-hanging fruit let's look at how we can get you know wins fast you know let's not take the slow path let's take the fast path you know a lot of people have this idea called marketing myopia they're so close to the tree they don't see the forest and so you know this is another one of the lies we hear about in business you need to focus 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 you know there is a certain amount of truth to that but you know if you're so focused on the wrong tree you know so what you know another uh, skill to have is perfective. So we need to be able to zoom in and zoom out. So when we zoom in, you know, we want to zoom out like there's a thousand opportunities. Oh, it's that one up there. That's okay. Now I'm going to focus. I'm going to, I'm going to work on that problem. I'm going to solve that problem. I'm going to turn that into some kind of success. And so when I'm through, I'm going to defocus. I'm going to then zoom out, look at the perspective. And now the new is up over here. And this ability to not just focus, but to defocus, to not just be zoomed in, but to zoom out and gain perspective. This is a problem is too many people are focused on the wrong things. And I even made a video about this, that if you solve the wrong problem, the original problem remains. You're so focused on solving the wrong problem that, you know, uh, you know, you're, some people are really good at fixing the wrong problems and no wonder they're struggling to get to the next level is because uh, they're so, you know, they're focused on the wrong stuff and they need to zoom out and see, you know, what's the root cause of this problem. And then they can focus on fixing that.
1: Joe, there are a lot of people who are focusing on the wrong problem, myself included. I'm sure I focus on the wrong problems from time to time. And when you're talking about zooming in and zooming out, um, that can be a problem because sometimes i zoom in and I'm zooming in the wrong spot. You ever, <laughs> you ever zoom in and you're like, what the hell? That's not even what I was supposed to be looking at. How do people get a hold of you if they want to help uh, focus in on the right problem to get solved? Okay,
2: well, the easiest way to get a hold of me is um, go to employeeescapeplan.com. That's my website for startups, Uh, E-M-P-L-O-Y-E-E-S-C-A-P-E-P-L-A-N.com. At the very top of the page is my phone number, and also at the top of the page is a scheduling link. And that's the best way to get onto my calendar. And uh, I always, uh, you know, I could say I give away a free hour consultation, but uh, what, let, me, let, me, let me make an offer to your, uh, to your viewers and listeners that uh, I would like to buy them an hour of my time. <laughs> let me buy you an hour of my time. If you want to talk, go to my website, schedule it. The first hour is on me.
1: See, I love that. It's the same words in a different meaning, but totally, it's valuing what you do. Like what you just said there basically says, I value what I do. And I want to show you the value that I can bring you.
2: Yeah, um, I'm really good. I, I fix problems fast. You know, so one of my big challenges is if I fix all your problems before you pay me, you'll never pay me. So... <laughs> I've had to learn how to, like, temper myself.
1: And <laughs> Joe, man, uh, always a pleasure, and I look forward to seeing you at another networking event. Shake your hand, hang out, hear some more stories. I mean, like I said, man, you had so much positivity, and, and just the, the, the perspective that you bring uh, to a lot of stuff that people talk about and the conversations that people have, um, it's it's enlightening. It really is. It's 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 a light in a room in a dark room where where you might walk into a room of pessimists and and this optimist walks in, and and it's infectious, my friend. Like you know, you walk in, you start. Well, let me let me let me elaborate on that. And now all of a sudden, I can't be mad anymore. At my problem. <laughs> I can't I can't gripe anymore because all I can see now is solutions that Jokey's bringing to these damn problems I have. So now you're putting work in me. <laughs> You know, I've
2: actually helped over 2,000 people grow existing businesses. I mean, I've helped, you know, contractors, electricians, plumbers, heating and air conditioning people. I've coached pawn shops, engineering companies, you know, people that have created light and sound machines, um, you know, people that have done, uh, you know, pet grooming, pet walk, pet walking. Um, uh, I've literally helped over 2,000 people grow existing businesses, and I've helped you know, over 200 people start businesses from scratch. And so, you know, I'm not, my niche is really, uh, you know, uh, I think the best way to explain it is, you know, every day in America, millions of people are driving reluctantly to a job they don't want to go to. And they're like praying, dear Jesus, dear God, you know, send me a mentor to show me a way out of this sewer. Send me a mentor that can hold my hand and connect the dots and help me start making my own money so I can be self-reliant instead of employer-reliant. And um, I'm the answer to that prayer. It's, it's really a calling for me. This is spiritual work. Self-reliance is a, is a high spiritual quality. And when we're, you know, employer-reliant or government-reliant or charity or family or handout-reliant, you know, spiritually, it's not as empowering as if we actually can go into the marketplace and manifest those things that we need, Uh, whether it's housing, you know, food, shelter, clothing, you know, um, we need to be better manifestors uh, without going through the uh, intermediary of an employer.
1: I got, I got one more question that popped into my head here at the end. Um, I'm getting ready to put a team together for what I'm doing with helping people build their podcast, uh, their own podcasts. Um, I've never Built a team before like this, um, in a space of you know just people who are good at social media, people who are good at video, people who are good at audio, that sort of stuff. Um, I've hired. I have an insurance agency, and I have hired, and I've you know, I have employees, that I put in place and systems. Um, what what should I be looking for when I'm looking for a a team member, a partner versus versus an employee? Employee, I think I got down partner a little bit different
2: well the hardest ship to steer is a partnership but you know (laughs) you know you got to be careful in choosing your team you know there's a lesson in the scriptures you know that uh it's not directly said but every jesus is guaranteed at least one judas okay so um you got to be very careful so um you know there's three parts of recruiting there's gain train and retain so you got to recruit properly and size people up before you even bring them in and then once they come in, you got to provide them the training and the systems they need to guarantee their success. And then once you get good people that you've recruited and trained, you want to keep them around because uh, life happens and you can lose them if, if you don't you know, create some kind of loyalty. So gain, train, uh, retain is definitely a big part of that. And, uh, uh, you know, you, when you hire people, you want to size up for weakness. Um, physical weakness. I learned this from a billionaire. Okay. A guy that was very, very wealthy. And he told me, um, you know, you want to size up somebody for weakness. So say you're at a cocktail party and somebody, you know, says, Hey, I'd like to be on your team, you know, and they've got a lot of qualifications, but say they're 400 pounds. Mm. Like, are you going to put your multi-million-dollar project in a guy that doesn't take care of his health? Um, and, like he's going to be calling in sick because his physical body is going to fall apart. Uh, you want to look at emotional strength. You want to look at like expertise strength. You know, they, they may seem to have all the answers now, but when the pressure cooker is on, will they rise to the occasion or will they shrink? Hmm. You know, so you want to like look at people because if I'm going to put you on a $10 million project, you know, here's one of the things I've learned about billionaires is they have this little mantra they say to themselves, I will never fail again because we've all failed. But billionaires are saying, I am going to stack the odds of success in my favor because because business isn't risky if you know what you're doing. Risk comes from not knowing what you're doing. And so a billionaire goes in. I know exactly what I'm doing. I know exactly the kind of quality of people I, I want to bring into this. And we're going to do this in such a way that it's going to succeed and I'm going to have a plan B and a plan C and a plan D contingency plan, because, you know, the, you know, failure is not acceptable. I mean, you want to fail your way to the top. I learned all that stuff too. But when you're putting millions of dollars on the line, you want to make sure you got your ducks in a row and that everything's in alignment. Cause uh, uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, I learned through my failure. You know, the clash yell for the school of hard knocks is ouch. (laughs) (laughs) I've been there. I made a million. I lost everything. I was minus two hundred fifty thousand, and it's like, you know, part of my whole quest for the truth was I never ever wanted to go back to that place of failure again. And so, and I'm sure you don't either. So when you're oh. bringing in your team, size up for for strengths and weaknesses. Make sure that you don't have weak members. Gain, train, retain. And uh, um, is that helpful?
1: That's definitely helpful. Kind of reminds me of a. I think I heard it was Dave Ramsey said when you're bringing on somebody. Take them out to dinner, sit down, have a conversation with them, you and your spouse, them and their spouse, and kind of gauge overall, more than just the skill set, is this somebody that you want to be in business with?
2: Yeah. Do you like them? Like, you know, ultimately, if you're going to spend, you know, long weeks and hours working with somebody, you want to be around somebody that's a pleasure, not somebody that's a uh, sourpuss.
1: Absolutely. Well, speaking of pleasures, Joe, it was a pleasure uh, spending this last, uh, I don't even know, half hour, 45 minutes, whatever with you. I really appreciate you taking the time out of the day. And again, for coming on at two o'clock, letting me go to my uh, daughter's soccer game today. So thank you very much. One more time. What's the name of your website? that People can go find you.
2: Yeah, it's employeeescapeplan.com. E-M-P-L-O-Y-E-E-E-S-C-A-P-E-P-L-A-N.com.
1: Perfect. Joe, thanks again, man.
2: God bless you. Have a miraculous day and enjoy that uh, soccer game.
1: Will do. See you guys. Peace. And we're out.
0: Thank you for listening to the Business Bros Podcast. Are you interested in being on the show? Are you looking to sell your home or have a business that needs insurance? Reach out to the Business Bros via email, businessbros at csfirst.com right now. Or click on the link in the show notes. Thank you for listening.